When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. This is an episode-by-episode look at the award-winning TV show Friday Night Lights, created by Peter Berg. I'm Stacey Oristano. I played Mindy Collette Riggins. And I'm Derek Phillips. I played Billy Riggins. Our assumption is, of course, that you, our listeners, have already watched the show. But if you haven't already, go watch Friday Night Lights, which is currently streaming on Netflix and Peacock TV, because there will be spoilers on this podcast. Hey, guys. We got merch. That's right, baby. We've got merchandise. We've got hats. We've got t-shirts. We've got hoodies. We've got uh, bumper stickers. We've got mugs. Anything that you guys are thinking of. And you can pick all this stuff up at ClearEyesFullHeartsPod.com. Once again, that's ClearEyesFullHeartsPod.com. And every few weeks, we'll do an audience participation episode just to answer your burning questions for us. So please email us anything you want to know. ClearEyesFullHeartsPod at gmail.com. Today, we are talking about season one, episode six, El Accidente. It was written by Carter Harris and directed by Dan Lerner. Here is our NBC synopsis. The Panthers are frustrated to learn their latest win may be overturned due to Voodoo's recruitment. A star defensive player is arrested for assaulting another student. And Tim and Lila break Jason out of rehab to take him on a surprise trip to the lake. Dun, dun, dun. We also have a very, very special guest with us today. Brad Leland, who played Buddy Garrity, is going to be with us later in the episode, and we'll talk to him. Uh, and we're really excited to hear his story. So let's get to our highlights from this episode before we go behind the scenes with Brad. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I want, to, I want to get this out of the way really fast because I didn't know if I was going to say it. Yeah. <sighs> okay. I didn't know Voodoo was this much of a bad guy. See? Now you know. He's a jerk. So, But this leads into what we were going to talk about today. So the tensions are high in Dylan <laughs> as the whole town is awaiting the outcome of the Texas High School Athletic Association's district meeting to determine whether or not Voodoo was eligible to play in last week's game. And Voodoo, he shows up at the diner. Everybody in town is PO'd. He says a bunch of racist stuff to Reyes, which almost leads to a fight. And we're also in this moment introduced to Kurt Caster, who kind of opens his mouth at the wrong time to a group of disgruntled football players. And right after that, this is right after their argument with Voodoo. And so like Bobby Bull Reyes now takes it upon himself to beat the ever-loving crap out of Kurt Caster. and. I mean, he's way stronger than the kid. Reyes beats him up so bad, he puts him in the hospital, and eventually this leads to Reyes' arrest. So that's what's happening at the start of this episode. 
It's a lot. And it's, it's a lot it's to come out of the cannon with. Yeah. I mean, boom, right out the gate, there's a ton of stuff going on. Yeah. Okay. I also, when the police showed up at practice, I, I had a thought like, this is Dillon, Texas. And I would have to think that some of those police officers probably played for the Panthers. I would yeah. think they would wait till after practice to arrest him. <laughs> right. I mean, they even put cuffs on him. Coaches like, come on, guys, do we really need the cuffs? Do we really need the cuffs? But yeah. It's, oh, something that's really interesting also is this is the first time right after this, we jump right into uh, T- uh, Tyra and Tammy's first meeting. Oh, yeah. Setting up their relationship. Tyra, <laughs> this hit me so hard. Tyra has a line that she says to Tammy and she says, and she's talking about like, I don't want your life, that she doesn't want to stay in Dylan and, and be married to a coach. Which chalks us up once again to kids say the meanest things. Kids say the darndest things. They really, I mean, kids are awful. Yeah, but like, to I, be I, fair, the whole thing that Dana Wheeler Nicholson, who played my mother on the show and I, we had a little chat and we decided that everything that we do is to show Tyra who she doesn't want to be. And like, <laughs> yes. they set up this early. Tyra's like, I don't want what will eventually be my sister's exact life. Yeah. And it's like, she loves Mindy, but she doesn't want to turn out like Mindy. And that's, who does? You know, I get it. I get it. Okay. After that, we go in back into rehab. God, it seems like Lila is always there with him but we never see his parents there or his family or anybody else but she like kind of she rules the roost at the rehab center that was a lot of ours <laughs> rules the roost but man i swear with street it's literally uh no pun intended but it's like two steps forward one step back Oof. uh in terms of his recovery i mean it's things are starting to move in a positive direction and then he and lila start to get a little bit frisky the nurse comes in and she's like hey you got to be careful semen can backflow into your bladder and it's just like oh something i've i very much did not know had never thought about i actually looked it up and this is something that can happen and it, it can cause all kinds of major major problems but it's just the brutal the brutal reality of what this kid is going through and a testament to this show because it's showing this there is no miracle cure yeah that's true it's going to show us how hard it is it, it, it's like uh, ugh. Stuff just keeps getting, I mean, we'll talk even more in the episode. Stuff just keeps getting piled on this kid. I sometimes forget, God, Scott Porter's so good. I sometimes forget that he's like, what, probably 16 around that age. For this much stuff to pile on a kid of that age is just, I, I cannot fathom. But he's the one kid in town who could probably handle that load. You know, I mean, it's, but it's a lot. Ugh. Yeah, those scenes really, uh, it's hard to watch. It's hard to watch. I mean, they're brilliantly acted, but really, really hard to watch because you just, you feel for his character so much. Okay, so then Buddy and Coach go to see the, the Athletic Association, I guess. I'm constantly surprised and amazed by how involved Buddy is with this team and showing up places where I'm like, why? Why aren't you at work and why are you here? <laughs> These were all my questions for Buddy. But yeah. Again, oh yeah, the whole thing. We're still trying to figure out if that win stands with Arnett Mead. Technically, kids had to be established for at least 30 days of residency in the district before they can play. And it turns out Voodoo was only in town for two weeks. And it's like Buddy kind of knew this, but he kind of skirted the rules. And Coach is like, come on, man, what are you doing? So he's put Coach in this really precarious position where Coach may have to lie to this athletic council or whatever, the, the athletic association, in order to salvage that win. And Coach is, you know, he's too ups, upstanding of a guy. He's not going to lie. But it's like Buddy creates these problems. I'm going to, I'm going to devil's advocate you here and say, I think this is, yes, buddy pushed him into it. This is on coach, man. This is on, he should have known the rules. It's his team. He's in charge. I put this on coach. 
I get you. And at the, at the end of the day, the buck stops there. And that's what coach is basically saying is he's, he's like, look, if we have to forfeit a game because of this, then so be it. Cause he's not going to lie. So that's what I mean is that like, just because you don't know a rule doesn't mean that it's not illegal to break it. And I think that that that's kind of what's going on here. Coach may not have known what the rule was, but he broke the rule and he's not going to lie about it. So this whole argument happens while coach and buddy are on the way literally to go talk to Reyes. Who's, who's in uh who's in jail at this point. And Reyes flat out lies to coach, tells him that Castor called him a bunch of racist names, which we know isn't true because we saw it as an audience. We're the only ones that actually saw what happened. Audience members of the show. None of the players saw what happened. But yeah, Reyes lies bold-faced to coach. And so this kind of creates the tension for the rest of, the, of this episode, especially now there's tension between Landry and Saracen because oh, they've, known, they've known Castor their whole entire lives. This is their, their personal friend. And Landry's like, dude, you know that Castor would never say those kind of things. They both know that Reyes is lying, but it puts Saracen in this really precarious situation as the starting quarterback because they need Reyes because he's a good football player. And then there's also just Landry watching his ultimate best friend becoming popular, getting in with the cool kids, and he kind of likes the attention, and they're throwing girls at him, and Landry just sort of sits back and watches. And then kind of also... Yeah, when this part happens, he's like watching Saracen maybe even go against his judgment and his morals. Yeah. This breaks my heart a little bit. Didn't we all have that? I remember I went to like a church in elementary school and like from elementary school to junior high, I switched schools. And there were all these kids that I knew from the church that were like my friends. And then when I went to this new junior high school, none of them would talk to me. And it was the hardest thing on the planet. This is so dumb. I got in a fight with my best friend in sixth grade and she was like the most popular girl in school. And I remember going from sixth grade to seventh grade is when we go to junior high. So the first day of junior high, we were, I guess, still fighting. I didn't know why. And I, it was lunchtime and I went to go sit at the table I sat with, which was with the popular kids. And they all looked at me and I was like, oh, I can't, I can't sit here. And I looked around the cafeteria and I found like four other girls that I like kind of knew. And I remember going, can I, can I sit here with you? And they were like, yeah, of course. They eventually, of course, became my best friends. But like, my life was over in that cafeteria room. I get it. Julie says in this episode, because they're both at the diner and Julie walks in and she's like, where's your better half or what's going on with you guys? I can't remember what it is exactly that she says, but like, she's like, you guys look even more pathetic when you're separated from each other. Right. Those two go together. Because <laughs> yeah, they are. It's like peas and carrots, like peanut butter and jelly. And like, exactly. Yeah. I don't like seeing Saracen and Landry in a real fight. Like, I don't like this. I mean, I think it's great storytelling, but it's hard for me to watch it because they're just, they're just too good together. You can't have them break up. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Then, then we go to the, T-H-S-A-A rep. I don't know what this stuff is. T-H-S-A-A stands for Texas High School Athletic Association. And this is the representative. Yeah, so Buddy Buddy goes in there and, I mean, of course he knows the rep. Why wouldn't Buddy know the rep? Like, they're like Buddy buddies. You know what I mean? Like, Buddy's buddies with, the, with his buddy who's <laughs> the rep. Yeah. A lot of Buddy going on there. But this is what I'm talking about. Buddy's. I, Buddy's at the like JV holding cell and Buddy's here. This man does not even have a title on this team. It's not like, it's not like he's an assistant coach. He doesn't even have a kid on the team. He's so invested in the We Panthers. all know that guy though, don't we? I mean, we all know a guy like that who just has, he knows everybody. Everybody, yes. oh, everybody knows that person. Okay, then we find out 
it's been six weeks that Jason has been either hospitalized or in rehab and hasn't seen, he had that one moment with Riggins where I think Riggins was forced to come by coach. Six weeks that he has not seen or talked to his best friend. The actual like counting of the weeks broke my heart. I cannot fathom being that person and doing that to my best friend when they're in the hospital. Yeah. I, I, Briggins has been a, uh, a pretty crappy friend throughout all this. I mean, when you take into consideration that number one, he hasn't been visiting the rehab center. And then number two, he's been sleeping with Lila the whole time. And, J- and, and Jason says, whatever happened to Texas forever? Oh, knife in the heart. Yeah. Yeah. Then all of a sudden we get this weird buddy movie with Jason, <laughs> Lila and Riggins, which like, sure, sure. Why not? This seems super yeah. comfortable for everyone involved. Yeah, no, nothing uncomfortable about this as an audience when we know what's actually going on. Nothing uncomfortable <laughs> nothing, about this at all. Nothing bad can happen from these people going away together. This is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> but it actually, I mean, you, you get to see a little bit of insight into how these guys functioned before the accident and, and what their relationship was like probably beforehand. Which brings up my question, whose boat is that? <laughs> Maybe they rented it. I don't know. Maybe it's uh, Buddy Garrity's boat and he let them. I don't think it's yours. Like, no, we've never seen it. I'd be really mad if it was yours and we never went out on it. I apologize, sweetie. But there are there's those moments of like the things they used to do. I found myself for a minute really enjoying the three of them being together and just like, yeah. and but then I was like, oh, wait, no, there's something really, you have to remember there's something really bad here. But I did. I liked just them being together and him out and Jason having his neck brace off for the first time starts yeah. to look a little more, I don't know, like, like himself, like the old street. Yeah. Oh, and then we like fast forward uh, right back to the diner, Landry. I'm going to say the Landry shows that he's got some uh, big brass cojones here because he goes after Reyes. Like he's defending Castor's honor, essentially, and defending Castor in general. And he gets right up in Reyes' face, which to me is like, that's pretty bold because I think we're led to believe that Reyes will literally kick the living snot out of Landry. Now, in real life, Jesse Plemons, I think, could probably hold his own. But in this world... Reyes is a, is a tough guy. I'm watching the scene going, oh, Landry, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. This guy's going to kill you, man. Okay. So I've never seen, I've never seen this episode before. I was yeah. shocked at this, at this side of Landry. I like this side of Landry. He yeah. sticks up for what's right, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, he puts his own butt on the line there because he could potentially get, it, it could have ended really bad. He could have ended up in the hospital just like, uh, like Castor did. I do wonder if it took this, this move, this, this brass bold move by Landry for Matt to then do do what's right. Yeah. We knew Matt was going to do what was right at some point, right? I mean, for a minute there, I wondered because he has, oh, he has this line that he tells coach and he says, I was confused about what was right for the team and what was right. Yeah. I get that, that conflict that's in him, man. Yeah. And coach did believe, I think he really believed Reyes. So basically now that we find out that Reyes was lying, Coach boots him off the team. And that is literally like the last we see or hear of Bobby Bull Ray. It's a great part to come in and do, though. Like, if yeah. you're going to do one episode, he nailed it. Yeah, he was great. I, I honestly, I was like half surprised and half not that that was Coach's decision. Obviously, a suspension was, was warranted, but man. He's done, done. I'm led to believe this kid was a phenomenal player. Yeah. And this is episode six. And the weird thing about this is that, so the actor who played Bobby Bull Reyes is a guy named Walter Perez. And Walter was there from episode two 
on. So if you go back, you watch and he'll pop up occasionally and his name is mentioned occasionally. So it's not like he just, this is just some random guy who came in and, and was just gone. So if it takes about eight to 10 days to shoot an episode, that means that he was down there with us for about two and a half months, three months, probably before he was gone. And like, all of a sudden it's just like, Hey, see you later, Walter. And that was literally the last time Walter was on the show. What a way to go, though. A blaze of glory. Oh, but after this, so once again, there's another visitor over to Coach's house late night. Of course, it's Buddy Garrity. Do you know when you're at a restaurant and the waiters always find the perfect time to come up to the table and it's when you have a mouthful of food and they ask Mm -hmm. you if you need anything? I feel like Buddy has that spidey sense where he can just show up at times where it's like, come on. Hey, Eric, is something good happening in your life right now? I just want to come in and kind of put a kibosh on it and let you know that Voodoo and his family, they have officially left Dylan. They're gone. Gone. Took the midnight train to elsewhere, if you know what I'm saying. They are no longer with us, Eric. So, yeah, we find out that Voodoo, Voodoo and his family have left, and I, I guess they've left Dylan with a little bit of a parting gift. I can't tell if if they did, like, probably, maybe, with he's got their families a little bit upset with what happened. They did this on purpose, to giving an interview, was it? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Dylan's, or Dylan's family, Voodoo's family was like, screw you guys, we're out of here. And then they did an interview with some local news and told them that Buddy basically recruited Voodoo and that Voodoo hadn't been living here for the, the 30 days that was required, that he had Oof. only been here for two weeks. So basically, that, that, game with Arnett Mead becomes a forfeit. Yeah. So all this voodoo drama leads to this. This is what, this is what I'm saying. Oh, guys, I'm li- I can't believe I'm biting my own words. I'm punching myself while I'm doing this. I'm leaving the door open for the possibility that I will have a new favorite Friday Night Lights character. He's so bad. You're over voodoo now? No, no, no. I'm not over voodoo. I still love the foil. I love what he did. I love all this. He's still so far my favorite character. I didn't realize how much I was going to fall in love with the rest of Dylan and hate what he was doing to the people I love. I am conflicted in so many ways in my heart and in my head right now. I'm just being open and honest with you. I don't know what happens from here and from my heart. You are the only person in America conflicted over voodoo. Hey. I'm living in my truth right now. <laughs> You're nuts. Then it's not like, like the show hasn't taken enough of a huge dump on my heart. Yes. That we go to this scene, oh, street, and they take him back to rehab. The nurse is, of course, angry, as he should be. And then he is in his room and he can see out the window and he sees Lila and Riggins saying their goodbye at the car. Everything falls apart. Yeah, because their goodbye is a long goodbye with a hug and some touching hand some holding touching hands and some whisperings of some sweet nothings. I don't know what they're saying to each other. Well, it seems their relationship, Lila and Riggins' relationship, as seen through Street's eyes so far, is that they sort of tolerated each other because they both love Street. But for them to be so tactile and so sweet with each other, there's no other conclusion anyone can come to except like, oh, yep, there it is. Yep. And so, I mean, it's, as you said, it's just another punch straight to the gut for, for Street. Plus it just sets you up for the next episode. I mean, now that we know that Street knows, it's like, oh boy. So what's, what's going to happen next? Great job by the writers in this episode, kind of setting that up. Okay. So that is what I'm calling our, our truncated Cliff's Notes version of episode six, because guys, Brad Leland 
coming up next. For those of you who don't know, Brad Leland, who played Buddy Garrity, he's uh, starred on the show Veep. He was on Justified, CSI Miami, Parks and Rec, Hancock, currently working on The Last of Us, shot Silverado, The Patriot, Deepwater Horizon, and just did a movie called The Land. So, and the, and the land is out right now? Yeah, it's called Land, just Land. With oh, Land. Robin Wright's uh, first directorial film. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, she directed, of course, a lot of House of Cards, but this was her first feature. And so yeah. getting to work with her was awesome. You know, Stacy and I have joked in the past on this show that literally if you want to work or shoot a film in Texas, I think that there's a writer that's automatically put into any film contract that you have to hire Brad Leland. <laughs> well, I wish that was true. <laughs> It seems that way because you're in everything that shoots literally in Texas and Oklahoma, anything that shoots in the southwest part of the country. Yeah, except I haven't done anything here since Friday Night Lights. But we get to now, we get the new one I'm about to do with Jesse, which is going to be shooting in Austin. So we get to go back, get to go back to our favorite place. Well, that's true. Actually, when I look at like half the stuff you've done, most of it, Parks and Rec was in L.A. Yeah, a lot of this stuff was outside of Texas. That was a dream come true that getting to do Parks and Rec, because it, it never really had anything to do with that show, but I had always wanted to be on stage at UCLA. And finally, after 50 years of pining away, that's where we shot. And I got to go to UCLA and be on stage at UCLA. Now, it was my goal to do it during college in theater, but 50 years later, I got to do it on that show. So the dream eventually came true. Dream achieved. The thing I love about Parks and Rec is how much they love Friday Night Lights. My favorite thing that has ever happened on TV is Amy Poehler's character, Leslie Nope, called Derek and I trash. Oh, and yes. I cried with joy. She said the Riggins family is trash, I believe. The family's trash. Brad, so real quick, how did you become a part of Friday Night Lights? We all know that you were in the movie. But how did you, how did the whole process come about for you? The movie is where it really happened. And, you know, it was one of those really weird things. I was in Austin doing some other show and I knew I wanted an audition for it. And it was really bizarre because I didn't have the audition yet. And I was walking through the Omni lobby and here came Peter Berg walking by with his entourage of people around him. And I just walked by him and he did a double take and he looked at me and it was like, that's that guy. That's that director. And I knew there was about to be an audition. And so my, my agent called me that day and said, Hey, they've called you. And evidently, Peter just kind of saw me in the lobby and thought I looked right. And then they called me in. And when I went in, it was one of those deals where, you know how Pete is, you just go in there and all of a sudden it's improv. You throw the script away and we are in there going after it. And I happened to enjoy doing it, as you well know. And so we just had a big time. And before I even left the room, he was pretty well, it's one of those ones you find out about like right then. Yeah. Which never happens. Yeah. You, they don't tell you, but Peter pretty well told me, that's it. I love it. We'll see you. And I walked out. And then after doing the picture, that was it. I, I didn't have to do it for the TV show. It, they just took me right over. Thank goodness. I got to go from John Aubrey to Buddy Garrity. He was a similar guy. Mm-hmm. So you you got a call that was saying, hey, we're doing a Friday Night Lights TV show and we want you there, essentially. We want you to play Buddy. 
What did you awesome. think? What did you think when they told you they were doing a Friday Night Lights TV show? I was happy. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was really happy, especially when I saw who was in it yeah, and yeah. all of you guys. Although I didn't know you, Stacy, but I knew Derek. So once it started, I think we all knew that we had something special. I mean, yeah. it just you could just feel it. And and that first meeting we had at the ta- at the dinner, we had this dinner, and I remember Peter saying, "Okay." This is going to be different because you're you're all responsible for your characters, and now NBC will be sending you scripts that they've poured over for a year, and they've been network approved, and all of this. But if you want to change it, that's when we first heard, go for it. These scripts are yours, and these lines are yours. Their characters are yours, so go for it. All the actors at the table, their eyes just light up. But 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 you know, he did that on the very first shot, the very first day of the film as well. We all wondered what he was doing because he said, we, we came in and he hustled everybody up to the set before the girls, you know, that big party scene, really elegant clothing and, and Buddy Garrity's or John Aubrey's house where it was really nice and all of that. And he didn't even let the girls get the rollers out of their hair. He, he took over. The women had on their robes and the guys weren't, we weren't in makeup or costume or anything. And he, we hadn't even had breakfast and Peter, Peter made us come into the room and uh, we sat around the dining room table and nobody, and, and we just started improving right then. And he goes, this is the way it's going to be. And we're like, the girls didn't want to be in there because they weren't even dressed yet and blah, blah, blah. And so we learned that very first day within the first couple of hours how it was going to be. That's amazing. What did you know about Buddy Garrity going into it? From the very beginning, I never thought of Buddy as a bad guy. And Pete said that to me anyway on something before. He was like that. A bad guy never thinks he's a bad guy. And, you know, that's true. And, but I certainly didn't think Buddy was a bad guy because I knew that Buddy was not about selfishness. He was about the selfishness of the community, the selfishness of his team, the selfishness of his coach, the selfishness of his family. It wasn't about his own personal selfishness, in my opinion. See, that's interesting because when you see the second episode, you've got this scene with Coach Taylor and you're talking about we got to get a win. And it's like, if you look at it from Buddy Garrity's perspective, and it's the first time I've ever done this, and it's interesting because I saw it when you said it that way, that, Bre- that Buddy is sitting there and he's going, we got to get a win. We need a win for this town. We need a win for the people in this town. If we're, when we're winning, we're making money. When we're making money, people are buying cars. People are happy. And it's, it's a totally different way of looking at Buddy Garrity, is that he's literally just trying to do yeah. what he thinks is best for the town. And yes. I never saw that before. I always just thought this guy's just some crazy football fanatic. And it's like, well, that's one way of looking at it. Yeah, I had forgotten that, you know, going back to the beginning, you know, I've, I can only sort of think about what happened by the end and how the relationships were at the end. But in the beginning, I'd forgotten how completely angry and hilarious Kyle is screaming. I could not believe how much he yelled and how mad he was at Buddy the entire time. Yeah. I'd forgotten that he hated <laughs> me that much or that he hated Buddy that much or that he was that perturbed by Buddy, whatever it was. I, I don't know if he hated him, but he certainly didn't like him much. And I'd forgotten how much yelling Kyle did in the beginning, especially when they were bad. He really laid it on him, didn't he? I completely did too. I was thinking that too about that Kyle's very or coach is very gruff. And I have forgotten that, but he's a very serious person. Yeah. He of course developed where he was never using that tone. But in the beginning, he was yeah. Hard, well, he was a first year coach. He had to learn. He was learning on the job. <laughs> yeah. 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 
But, you know, something I just want to make sure we talk about, and that is what has happened to all the cast and all of the crew after this show is yeah. amazing. Everybody's careers. And I think a lot of that has to do with the family that we established yeah. on that set and that family being everyone, including the background artists, not the extras, the background artists who were the people of Dillon and came back yeah. year after year and created yeah. that town. And we, we met those people and they were just as, if not more important than anything, because they, they were that world yeah. we mm-hmm. lived in. And they, and so not only the cast and crew came back, but we created that family atmosphere and we all were such a family on and off the set that I think that's kind of the thing that has happened with uh, Texas forever. We got yeah. family forever because we got, we're all friends forever because of that. And it's really, really special. But it was, and Austin was also a different town back then. I mean, I remember, so like the the first season of the show or the second season of the show and a lot of the third season of the show, I didn't have a car because I was flying back and forth from LA. And so they'd put me up in a hotel for the days that I was there and I'd be walking throughout Austin. And invariably, I'm not kidding when I say invariably, it was like every third time I walked anywhere, I'd hear a really biggins. And it was Brad pulling up and he had this beautiful <laughs> pickup truck. And if I remember correctly, with like real nice leather interior, and you'd be like, where are you walking to, man? You need a ride? And I'd get in the car and Brad would take me to and fro wherever I needed to go. But like, it felt like we were in this small little town. We're shooting a little TV show in this small little town. Or even there was one day, Brad, do you remember when uh, Taylor and I were out on the lake and we were, Taylor and I were out on his boat and uh, Kitch, who played Tim Riggins, and we're out on his boat and I hear really biggins. And I'm like, what the hell is that? <laughs> and there's this giant houseboat coming down the lake. I mean, gigantic. And at the helm, like, I don't know, I'm not a boat guy, but it's like the top of the houseboat. Kitchen and I both go, is that freaking Buddy Rick, Buddy Gary? <laughs> and of course, there's Brad Leland at the top of the boat waving at us. And he's like, you guys got to come on this boat. And so, what? Whose boat was that? Oh, that's one of my uh, junior high buddies who's got more money than God. He's got two, a couple of airplanes, and that, that boat is very special. He still has it out there on Lake Travis. Hey, okay, speaking of junior high, high school, you played high school football, right? In Plano? Right. Yeah. Do you? I think I told you this probably a while ago. So while you were playing at Plano, my dad was at TCU becoming a sports commentator. And he remembers calling your high school games. And he remembers saying your name a lot when he was calling your games. Oh, my goodness. Telling you, it's a small, small world. It certainly is. And then my daughter ended up going to TCU. More of my great uncle was a famous football star back in the 30s. He was the fastest guy in the country at the time. They called him the Lubbock Jackrabbit. And it was it was my great uncle. And his name was Cy Leland, which is where I got my middle name. It was right before Doak Walker became the big thing over at TCU. So my daughter was really happy when she went to TCU that she had a legacy there. I also have a legacy at TCU. And when I didn't go, I brought shame upon my family. (laughs) (laughs) I heard a little birdie told me a story that maybe you one time got pummeled by a very famous professional football player, Earl Campbell. Oh, Earl. Oh, my gosh. Is this true? Yeah, because... (laughs) Yeah, our coach told us, and that was the year we won state, but that first game was an exhibition game or a preseason game. And our coach told us that there's this giant 
man. He's in East Texas, and he is a man among boys, boys. I think at the time he was, uh, he was a grade or two behind, but he ran like a 4'4", four, 40, and he weighed 225 already in high school. And so they said, yeah, and his, his name was Earl Campbell. And on the first play of the game, I, I was playing defensive end, and my buddy was playing corner. And it was a slant directly at us off that off that deep, off that end, and so I hit Earl in the legs as hard as I could because I was low, and then my buddy, the cornerback, hit him high at exactly the same time, and we sort of bounced off of him, and and we were both on our bellies, and we both looked up, and then we looked down the field, and we saw these legs still going, and we looked at each other and went, oh. <laughs> That was, the, that, was, that was the first play of the game, and we knew it was going to be horrible because we, we both just hit him as hard as we could and bounced off like little tiny fellows, which we were in comparison. So amazing. How have I never heard this story? I don't know. Oh, that's another thing I wanted to bring up before we go too much farther. I wanted to, to say not only did this family occur because of Friday Night Lights, but you know, something that happened that was extremely special in, in lots of ways, and it's still happening, and that's Beyond the Lights. And Beyond the Lights happened where Kyle and I were just walking down this fairway one day playing golf, and Kyle said, you know, we need to do something. I said, what does that mean? He goes, well, we need to do a charity or something for Austin. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And he goes, well, you know, and I said, well, let's just do a golf tournament since we were playing golf that day. And so Beyond the Lights was born. And what ended up happening was, of course, we connected up with uh, the Gridiron Heroes and the Bonacani Fund to cure paralysis, uh, Nick Bonacani, whose son was paralyzed years ago. And so getting involved with those two organizations, giving them a, a lot of money over five years, we had Beyond the Lights going and it started out as a one-day golf tournament and turned into a four-day weekend event, which you guys know you were there. And we had, we had a tremendous blast at the resort there for years. But that thing occurred and maybe one of the best things to ever come out of Friday Night Lights, besides our personal experience and the fact that people love the show, it actually did something to help a lot of, a lot of young athletes of all kinds, boys and girls, not just football, who have been paralyzed. And, uh, and it, it was special to be able to give them money and do something, give back a little bit. And people still ask, when are you going to bring back Beyond the Lights? And, you know, we may never get to bring back the show and have that reunion. But we might get to bring back Beyond the Lights, and it'll still have the same effect. The, the title will still be the same. Of course. We're going to have Eddie and Chris Canales on here to talk about Gridiron Heroes sometime soon. I'm just, I just love. Oh, cool. I love them, and I love what they do so much. Yeah. Yeah. Brad, do you know that Voodoo Tatum is my favorite character on Friday Night Lights? Oh, really? 100%. I, and it's a little bit like I'm trying to decipher, is it my love of Aldis or my love of Voodoo? And it's both. I love Voodoo Tatum. It's a little much, Brad. It's a little much considering he's an impudent young man who <laughs> cannot take coaching. <laughs> and he needs to learn that he is not the boss of the world. And so why do you like him so much? I don't know. I just do. And I want I want to know, I want a voodoo Tatum after story. Like what happens when he leaves Dylan? Where did he go? Did he end up playing football? I honestly want to know where he is. I'm going to let you two have this conversation. I'm going to leave while Stacy talks about voodoo for the next 20 no, minutes. No, I'm done. I just wanted to make sure Brad knew that he was, my, <laughs> he was my favorite character. And you had a lot to do with bringing him on the show. And there's scenes with you guys in the motel room and his family. That stuff really happens. Yeah. 
Yeah, it really does. Yeah. I mean, and that's one of the things about this show that, I mean, there's a lot of gray area. I mean, the big thing that that happens in the end of the voodoo storyline is that we wind up the game that they wind up winning that voodoo plays in uh, winds up becoming a forfeit. And so they go to like the head of the district. And of course, Buddy knows the guy who's running it and they hug each other and everything's great. And then like, what a story that was. Okay, so a good buddy of mine that I've known since high school that I played football with is the head of one of the big liquor distributors in Austin. Well, we're about to do the scene in two days, and it's the scene where Buddy goes to meet his buddy, take the coach, and they're going to square this deal away. Okay, so Reiner calls me, our executive director, producer, director par excellence. And he calls me and he goes, Brad, man, we've been looking for this guy. We've looked at all the actors around here. I'm just not seeing it. Do you happen to have a friend that, that could play this role? Oh, and then I start thinking about my good buddy, Vic, who is a huge high school football man. He's very poised and has to speak to large groups at big business meetings. And I called him up and I said, Vic, you want to be on Friday night lights? He goes, what do you mean, man? I said, no, I mean, actually, say a bunch of words and play a character who's my, I told him about the character. He goes, man, I don't know if I can do that or not. I said, I think you can do it because he's a gregarious guy. Reiner goes, bring him in. So that night, Vic and I went by someplace and had a couple of margaritas so I could loosen him up. And we went into the office with Reiner and the look was perfect. And we're about the same size. And, you know, he's got a, he's got a natural accent. So we go in and Reiner starts reading him, and it's a big scene with me and Kyle, and Reiner reads him, and and Vic c- can do it, and Reiner says, it, do it again, and he did it again, and we left, and he was like, man, how did I do? And I was like, oh, you did great. You were perfect. And then Reiner called me after he and I left. Reiner called me and goes, man, that guy's, will, will that guy do it? Will he show up? And I'm glad. He goes, he's perfect. I said, you know, he's never acted a day in his life. He goes, that's all right. He's going to be able to do it. It'll work. I thought, how on earth is he going to do this? And so I get there and I'm thinking, okay, when Vic gets there to the set tomorrow, I'll take him through the works. I'll be there with him in his trailer. I'll be at makeup with him. I can walk him through it so he won't get nervous and freak out. Well, Kyle and I were off shooting a scene that morning. And so Vic is there for like four hours before I get back and they've taken him. He signed his contract and they took him a hair and makeup and he's sitting with the extras in a little row. He's just sitting there and he's got his script and he's just got his head buried in his script. And I came up and he goes, man, this is weird. That's been, I've been here for four hours and they got me, should I be right here? And I said, why are you sitting in here? You, you need to, you don't need to be sitting right here. But the guy pulled it off and actually acted in a very pretty difficult scene with a lot of setups for the first time in his life. And he pulled it off. That's an awesome story, but I had no clue about that story, but there is something that I didn't notice, honestly. And I thought this the other day is when he, you come walking into the room and you guys give each other a big hug. Yeah. It just felt real. Yeah. Like you knew each other. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was, I, I actually, I should have asked you about that in the interview earlier or when we were talking earlier, because it, it just seemed like there was a, a connection. I was like, I bet Brad does know that guy. It was unbelievable. Brad, I think we probably have to wrap up, but will you come back again and again and again and be our guest when we, when we need you? Again and again and again. <laughs> Bradley, thank you so much for coming out here and doing this for us. I appreciate it, man. It's always great to hear your voice and to see your face. Hey, I love y'all and we'll do it again. 
That's it for episode six. We want to thank Brad Leland so, so much for coming and talking to us. And you know he's definitely going to be back on with us again. So please join us next time for episode seven. This is going to be Stacy's first episode on the show. Oh, hey, what now? As always, we want to hear from you guys. Please send us anything you want us to know and all of your questions at cleareyesfullheartspod at gmail.com. So until then, clear eyes. Farts. Thank you. Clear Eyes, Full Hearts is a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. Executive producers are Stacey Orstano and Derek Phillips, Chris and Mandy Wimmer for Black Barrel Media, and Steve Walters for Ritual Productions. Our producer is Mandy Wimmer. Please send your questions to Pod at gmail.com and find us on social media. I'm at Stacey Orstano on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Derek Phillips on Twitter and underscore Derek Phillips on Instagram. And check out our websites, cadence13.com and blackbarrelmedia.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys next week.